What's up, everyone? This is Nathan for Be Rolling Over, and this will be a bonus. I just want to talk about on how four Super Bowls are intertwined together, and I'll start with the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 53, final score, New England Patriots 13, LA Rams free. Now everybody's talking about, oh, all the LA Rams, all they scored was a field goal in the Super Bowl, but remember, they are only the second team to only score, scoring a Super Bowl without scoring a touchdown. And the other team that their team that did that was the Miami Dolphins in Super Bowl VI. They lost to Tom Landry and the Dallas Cowboys 24-3 in Super Bowl VI. Now, of course, you would think, hey, this team wouldn't be able to show up in the Super Bowl the following season, right? Well, actually, no. They ended up not just being in the Super Bowl, but they end up finding a way to end up being the first team in NFL history by winning Super Bowl Seven, not only being the first team ever to, after losing a Super Bowl the previous season, end up winning the Super Bowl the following season, but also became the first team in NFL history to have a perfect season. Matter of fact, a funny story about that. The reason why, and this was originally the lowest scoring Super Bowl before, Super Bowl 50, 53. So, it was 14 nothing, and they wanted to go for a field goal. The holder kind of lost hold, kind of was lost hold of it, was trying to make a play, and Don Shula didn't like it. He was trying to find a way to, to make a play. He just wanted him, you know, just to die for the ball, and then just the Redskins get the ball. Instead, he ended up. Throwing the ball, and it ended up being a turnover, and it led to watch the Redskins going all the way down the field, laying the game, scoring a touchdown. They were trying to make the final score match the perfect record of 17-0. and They were probably the closest team that had a shutout in the Super Bowl until, of course, Super Bowl 53 came along. So, just because the L.A. Rams only scored a field goal in the Super Bowl, I'm not saying it's guaranteed that they are going to return back, becoming the third team in Super Bowl history from after a, se- after a previous season. They lost the Super Bowl. They returned back to the Super Bowl the following season and end up winning it all. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying don't count out the Rams because... <laughs> don't count the Rams because they just scored a field goal in the Super Bowl and then they should be like all down. But this is different because, of course, this is the salary cap era. But it's showing it's showing some promise for the Rams that a lot of players in the free agency want to play for the Rams in L.A. So just keep. I just want to give some hope for the L.A. Rams fans because. That's exactly what happened with the Miami Dolphins with Super Bowl six, and then Super Bowl seven. They end up not just winning it all, but becoming the first team ever to, after winning the Super Bowl, having a perfect season, which ties back to the New England Patriots. New England Patriots with Super Bowl fifty three ended up becoming the second team in Super Bowl history 
with after a previous season losing the Super Bowl, we turned back to the Super Bowl and ended up winning it. They became the second team to do that. Which ties back to to the Miami Dolphins once again because they went to Super Bowl six, Super Bowl seven, and Super Bowl eight. They did not go to Super Bowl nine because well we all know Super Bowl nine Super Bowl nine was between the purple man eaters and the steel curtain, of course. <laughs> Anyways, I'm getting a little bit off track here, but that Miami Dolphins team that lost 24 to 3 in Super Bowl Super Bowl 6 and ended up winning Super Bowl 7 14-7 ended up having the perfect season. The following season, they went to Super Bowl 8 and beat the Minnesota Vikings 24 to 7, becoming the first team ever in Super Bowl history to go to three straight Super Bowls. And then, following along, around the 90s, came along the Buffalo Bills, which in Super Bowl 25, Super Bowl 25 was between the Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants, which back then, you know Bill Belichick as the head coach of the New England Patriots. Well, guess what? He was the defensive coordinator of that New York Giants big blue defense. And... And, of course, we all know what happened. He found a way to stop this revolutionary tactic of the hurry-up offense of the Buffalo Bills stomping down and stopping Furman Thomas's rushing attack. I, I do believe he only got 34 rushing yards in the whole entire game. And, and of course, we all know the Scott Norwood 47-yard field goal miss wide he missed wide. Okay, he missed wide. And the rest was history and 20 to 19. And then the Buffalo Bills returned to the Super Bowl again, lost to the Washington Redskins, and then played back to back Super Bowls, which the Buffalo Bills even played a Super Bowl in Atlanta against the Dallas Cowboys, but they, it wasn't even a close game. They lost 30-13 to to the Dallas Cowboys. And then the following season, losing to the, to the Dallas Cowboys again, this time at the Rose Bowl, 52-17. to mm. And of course, which ties back to Super Bowl 34, the last time there was a Super Bowl in Atlanta. The Super Bowl in Atlanta, where, I mean before Super Bowl 53, which, coincidentally, the LA Rams, which they moved to St. Louis at this time, where the St. Louis Rams had a quarterback by the name of Kurt Warner helping out. And they looked like a dynasty for the greatest show on, was developing into the greatest show on turf. You had Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce. <laughs> so, and they nearly blew what would have been if the Tennessee Titans found a way to win, ended up making, 
ended up having the Tennessee Titans, if they won that Super Bowl, the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. They were down by, let's see, I do believe they were down by 16, and they found a way to score 16 points. And the Rams found a way to go down the field, score a touchdown. And Steve McNair found a way to drive down. He passed the ball to Kevin Dyson. Kevin Dyson made the catch, got it to around the 10-yard line. There was one final play, the final way to force it into overtime. Throws the ball to Kevin Dyson. Kevin Dyson makes the catch, and he tries to stretch out his arm. Mike, Mike Jones makes the tackle, and, and just a yard just couldn't quite get the ball past the plane of the end zone, and that was it. And the St. Louis Rams ended up winning their first Super Bowl in their franchise history. Which leads back to, let's see here, Super Bowl 36 between the St. Louis Rams and the New England Patriots. New England Patriots were a 14-point underdog, and they had a quarterback by the name of Tom Brady. Tom Brady was facing pretty much a Rams team that everybody was claiming would end up being with the greatest show on turf and looking as they would be a dynasty. Everyone even kept on saying that this would be, you know, whoever wins the Super Bowl will be a dynasty. If the Rams win the Super Bowl, they will be a dynasty. A lot of people said a dynasty will be born from this Super Bowl. They were correct. But they had no idea it was going to be the New England Patriots. Imagine in the 90s you were told, because the New England Patriots in the past, Super Bowl 20 got destroyed, 46-10. to 10. And then another Super Bowl, which they played in, coincidentally, in New Orleans. Facing against Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers, losing 35-21. Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback at that time. Losing that Super Bowl in New Orleans. Guess where Super Bowl 36 Super Bowl was at? New Orleans. In the Superdome. And of course, they were up 17 free against, against the Rams. Rams found a way to come back to at least tie it. Tom Brady goes for one final drive with the New England Patriots. And then Terry goes for a long field goal. It's up. It's good. The rest is history. New England Patriots have their first Super Bowl win in their franchise history. And all of their demons of letdowns and blowouts in the Superdome are gone. Their Super Bowl roles, gone. Of course, we didn't realize at the time it would lead to a dynasty at all. No one did. The only two people that knew that this was going to be a dynasty were probably Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And maybe Robert Kraft as well. <sighs> and so, with that... New England Patriots and the L.A. Rams facing each other in Super Bowl 53. Tom Brady in full circle beats the Rams yet again 
And not only that, which ties to Super Bowl Six, because Super Bowl Six, I mean not Super Bowl Six, Super well, so Super Bowl Six and Super Bowl Seven, because Super Bowl Six. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me. Which ties with the New England Patriots? Which ties to the New England Patriots? Super Bowl Fifty One, Super Bowl Fifty Two, Super Bowl Fifty Three. Being the third team in Super Bowl, the third team in Super Bowl history to go to three straight Super Bowls. The two previous teams were also AFC East teams as well. The Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. Super Bowl 51. They, New England Patriots ended up making the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, forcing the first overtime in Super Bowl history, winning 34-28 against the Atlanta Falcons. Super Bowl 52, facing against a backup quarterback, this facing against a well-known veteran and a backup quarterback that's trying to fill in for their starter. Nick Foles comes in calm, collected, more calm and collected than Tom Brady himself, beating the New England Patriots 41 to 33. And of course, which leads to Super Bowl 53, New England Patriots and the LA Rams. The LA Rams defense did the impossible in this Super Bowl. If this was, let's say, the Atlanta Falcons, that Atlanta Falcons offense had this type of defense, Atlanta Falcons would be looking at a Lombardi trophy right now. If the Carolina Panthers in Super Bowl 30 Super Bowl 38 had this type of defense, we would have looked at a first overtime Super Bowl and probably even the Carolina Panthers would have a Lombardi Trophy right now. So, <laughs> with that being said, we end up having the lowest scoring Super Bowl. We thought it, we didn't think it was even possible to have a low score, more of a low scoring affair than Super Bowl 7 with a combined total of 21 points. But here we are Super Bowl 53, New England Patriots 13, LA Rams 3. And so that's how all. These Super Bowls tie together into one story of the NFL. Or at least the stories of the tie all together when it comes to statistics and history. And I just want to say thank you very much. I just wanted to add just a bonus and... You know, just give something for people to think about. It's crazy how sometimes history sometimes finds a way to repeat themselves, and sometimes it doesn't. But we shall find out uh, next NFL season, the 100th 
NFL season. So, as I'm Nathan for be rolling over, saying so long until next time. Thank you very much for listening, my lovely listeners and handsome hearers. Uh, this is just a bonus. I, I wanted to add more detail because I realized there is a lot more of this. And by the way, for Atlanta, it feels a slap to the face as <laughs> not just have New England Patriots beat you in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl 51, but to win in your own home. Oh, man. That's a bigger slap of a face than Adam Levine's nips being shown over SpongeBob SquarePants. A uh, sweet, sweet victory being not being played, but instead shown sicko mode. Oh my goodness. Thank you, everybody, for those handsome hearers and lovely listeners. I do appreciate everyone listening. This is just a bonus episode. And please tune in next episode. Definitely will be a special guest, uh, Tyler Jackson Price, a voice actor, and he also is <laughs> a voice actor. He, he did some stand-up comedy as well, and I'm looking forward to this coming up podcast episode. It should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Also, another thing to keep in mind, Tom Brady has been around, was it now, nine Super Bowls, and the LA Rams defense did the impossible, not letting Tom Brady even throw a touchdown pass. So think about that for how many Super Bowls that Tom Brady has been in, and this is the first time that he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. That is just crazy. If it was any other team... They would have won the Super Bowl. But for some strange reason, I guess Jared Goff just couldn't quite handle the big stage. I knew he would get nerves. But, man, he really looked petrified out there. Before I wrap up this episode, matter of fact, we are only at the halfway point, people. I realize I made a couple mistakes. Number one, I... For Super Bowl Seven, it wasn't the holder, it was the kicker. The kicker picked up the ball, and he tried to throw it, and it got picked off, and it was returned all the way for a touchdown for the Washington Redskins by, by Bass. So, and another mistake I made, I'm... It's weird that I get this mixed up, Super Bowl 27, Super Bowl 28, with the score and the location, because you would think, because with the wave at the Buffalo Wolves of this could have been dynasty by the Buffalo Bills, you thought it was going to get worse to worser. Well, it got to worser, and then it just got to worse. Especially losing to the Dallas. I mean, they played against the same team, the Dallas Cowboys. But Super Bowl 27 was at the Rose Bowl. And they lost to the Dallas Cowboys 52-17. to And Super Bowl 28 was in Atlanta, Georgia. And they lost to the Dallas Cowboys. Not as not beaten to the pulp badly, but still pretty bad. 
30 to 13. And now I'll be... It's funny whenever you have written anything in life. And it's funny to look back on on your thoughts because sometimes when something happens, you go thinking, oh my gosh, I was way off, especially with Super Bowl 53. I, I listened to my podcast, my ep- a podcast episode I'd done a couple of weeks ago, and in my prediction of the Super Bowl, I was correct with who the winner would be, the New England Patriots, but I was way off with what I thought the game was going to be. I thought this was going to be one of those all-time classic games, and you can't really blame me or anybody thinking that because of, of the high-scoring offense, but we saw a great defense trench battle. <laughs> so... I'll be reading some old blog posts from the past on what I thought of some of the Super Bowls, what they were going to be for past Super Bowls, and that's what I'm going to do. I'll be reading what i written for my past blog posts of past Super Bowls, of my predictions at that time, and telling the story of what I thought the game was going to be in the past, and... And what the result, and maybe even mention the result of what we ended up getting. And so I just find it fun to do that, and I hope and I hope you do as well. And I'll bring up my blog post because I've been trying to make videos of it, and my well, it's just whenever I do that, I guess my laptop isn't as powerful as it used to be. So it can't really handle filming as much as it used to. So instead, you'll be having, uh, you'll be listening to what I've written in the past of Super Bowls and even the end of the BCS and what I fought for the college football playoff uh, coming up as well. So, just sit back, relax, and whether you are working or just taking a break, just listen, and everything will be alright. And we are back. Welcome, everybody, to the to the podcast of Be Rolling Over with Nathan. And let me tell you all the blog posts in my past... This coming up championships for both the NFC and AFC, Colts and Saints, that would be a great Super Bowl because of Peyton Manning returns to the place that he won his first Super Bowl in Miami. Saints go to their first Super Bowl and Archie Manning will have some fire issues on who to root for. But I want the Vikings to go to the Super Bowl and here are the reasons why. Because of Brett Favre wanting to win the Super Bowl and finally bringing a Super Bowl win for the Vikings and a sports championship team in Minnesota since the 1991 World Series. Of course, the New York Jets, because if they go, Rex Ryan will get some dogs, some Nathan's hot dogs, 
competition if the Jets go to the Super Bowl. Vikings versus Colts, that would be a good Super Bowl because of having two great QBs that have successful careers so far fighting for the Super Bowl trophy. Jets versus Vikings, Brett Favre playing against the team that he was on last year, and what a better way to get revenge for the Jets than to show them Brett who. Finally, Saints versus Jets, two great young running backs, Reggie Bush versus Sean Green, also Mark Sanchez facing a USC alumni, Reggie Bush. So either way, each team has a motivation to go to the Super Bowl. Saints go to the Super Bowl the same New Orleans is reborn. Jets go to the Super Bowl. Rex gets to have some Nathan's hot dogs. And we get to see if rookie QB can win a Super Bowl. If Colts go to the Super Bowl, we get to see a rookie coach in the Super Bowl. Vikings go to the Super Bowl. We might actually get to see them win the Super Bowl. And Brett Favre will finally mean that he will retire literally instead of pulling the Michael Jordan. So either way, this is a win-win-win. And, and of course, win situation for all football fans. This matchup will probably be remembered for oh yeah. and that was a blog post around 2010. At that time, I was talking about Super Bowl 44 uh, coming up for Super Bowl 44, and it ended up being Indianapolis Colts and New Orleans Saints, and we all know New Orleans Saints ended up, you know, especially after Hurricane. After Hurricane Katrina and finding a way of winning the Super Bowl after such a disastrous event that happened to the city of New Orleans, finding a way to win the Super Bowl for the city of New Orleans, beating the Indianapolis Colts 31 17, especially with a key onside kick to start out the second half after being down 10 6. This is what I talked about. Before Super Bowl 45 happened. The matchup will probably be remembered for a long time. We have two story franchises in Super Bowl 45. Between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Green Bay Packers. Where we have well known players from the past past for Pittsburgh. They have been well known for their gritty defense. Their, Their defense has been known as the Steel Curtain. And one of the famous traditions known as the terrible towel. They have great Hall of Famers such as Min Joe Green, Lynn Swan, Franco Harris, Terry Bradshaw, and Jerome the Bus Bettis. Now, they have Ben Roethlisberger, Heinz Ward, Troy Polamalu, James Harrison, Rashard Mendenhall, Ike Taylor, and James Ferrier. Now we talk about the Cheeseheads, known as the Green Bay Packers. Even though they have only won three Super Bowls, they have won 12 NFL championships overall. And that's where we found the legendary coach known as Vince Lombardi. We have known great Packers legends such as Bart Starr, Curly Lambeau, Reggie White, Desmond Howard, Antonio Freeman, and as much as you don't like him right now, Packers fans, that especially includes Brett Favre as well. Also, Donald Driver and Al Harris. Now, we have a rising quarterback who's got something to prove why he deserves to be talked about as one of the great QBs of our time. This is the stage that he's waiting for. The Packers defense has been tremendous during the playoffs especially against the Eagles, the Falcons and the Bears and the Bears who says you can't kill two birds with the same stone while the Pack were at it, they thought they might as well grab a Bears claw 
The Green Bay D has Clay Matthews, B.J. Raji, the legendary Charles Woodson, and a great replacement for Al Harris is probably the X factor for the Packers, none other than Jamon Williams. So it's here we hear the song Black and Yellow, which they will change it to Black and Gold, or we will see the city of Green Bay change the name of their city from Green Bay to 13 Bay. Either way, we're going to have one heck of a matchup. I heard it's getting cold in Dallas. Maybe. There will be a ice bowl free. Peter King predicted from the preseason that these two teams would be in the Super Bowl. And he predicts Steelers 33, Packers 27. EA Madden simulator predicts that the Steelers will win by a final score of Steelers 24, Packers 20. So you see where this is going. I predict this. The Steelers think they won the game and celebrate a little bit early. But the Packers come back with no worries. I think the final score will be Packers 34, Steelers 28. I was off by three points for each team. Not a bad prediction. Coming up, I'll be talking about... I write... I've written down my opinion on based on the final... Season of the BCS and what will come with the college football playoff. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be talking about the BCS and its system and why it's not really gone. The history of the BCS started in 1998, which at the very start was controversial, but still people at least wanted to give it a chance. The 1998 BCS National Championship was a snoozer, but Tennessee Volunteers beat the Florida State Seminoles 23-16, and from that point on, Every college football fan realized that the worst of the BCS was to come. And yes, they brought us very entertaining games like the 2006 BCS Rose Bowl National Championship between Texas and USC, which Texas won 41-38. The 2007 Fiesta Bowl with Boise State Broncos and the Oklahoma Sooners with a lot of plays, a hook and ladder play to tie the game for Boise State. And forced overtime, and the game ended with a Statue of Liberty two-point conversion that helped Boise State beat Oklahoma 43-42. And after the game, the halfback that ran in the game winning two-point conversion, which was Ian Johnson of Boise State, proposed to his girlfriend, Christy Johnson, who was part of the Boise State cheerleading squad, and she said yes. That was the night that every college football fan knew that a team from a non-BCS conference, such as the Western Athletic Conference, which Boise State was playing for at the time, and people knew at that time that a non-BCS team can compete with the big boys on the grand stage. Now, you're wondering who came up with the BCS system in the first place. And it was none other than former Southeastern Conference Commissioner Roy Kramer. Now, the interesting story was he actually wrote his idea of a bowl system that would structure a number one versus number two team every year on his napkin. Now, the system was tweaked up nearly every year. The flaw in the system was revealed in 2004-2005. Season... And that was when there were three undefeated teams that were fight, fighting to play in a game of two. And USC, Oklahoma, and Auburn at the end of the season were undefeated. 
But USC and Oklahoma played in the unfortunately worst BCS national championship game ever, and Auburn got left out, which kind of gave some inspiration to SEC Commissioner Mike Slive, and he later on proposed the plus one in 2008. Now, the second to last year of the BCS Bowl system with the 2013 BCS championship game between two highly well-known college football powerhouses of Alabama Crimson Tide and Northern Fine Irish, And this game was hyped up, and people thought this was going to be a classic game that people will remember forever. But they were right. It was a classic. Blowout, that is. And the only moment I remember from that game was Kirk Herbstreet and Brent Musburger making comments and looking at... looking at the... attractive girlfriend of Alabama quarterback, quarterback A.J. McCarron, that was well known after this game that was the former Miss Alabama and Auburn alumni, Catherine Webb. Anyways, Alabama ended up beating down Notre Dame 42-14. Now, 2013-2014 BCS Bowl games and the last season of the BCS, well, all of the BCS games were entertaining, starting out with the Rose Bowl between Michigan State Spartans and Stanford Cardinal. And it was two great defenses battling out, and Michigan State won 24-20. Then a Fiesta Bowl between two teams that were in their first BCS Bowl appearance between the highest-scoring offense, Baylor Bears, against the large school, but gets ball recognition when it comes to their sports programs, which is the University of Central Florida Knights. It was a close game and a surprise performance by UCF quarterback, I know everybody's going to laugh at this part. Blake Bortles as the UCF Knights won in a shootout, 52-42. Then, the All-State Sugar Bowl. It was a close game between the Oklahoma Sooners and the Alabama Crimson Tide, which Alabama didn't care for this game, and we saw the end of Alabama quarterback A.J. McCarron's college football career and a rise of a new college football phenom in freshman Oklahoma quarterback Trevor Knight who threw four touchdown passes against the decisive Alabama defense as Oklahoma beat Alabama 45-31. to The Orange Bowl between two teams that were considered national title contenders, the Clemson Tigers and the Ohio State Buckeyes. And it was a shootout as well with Clemson quarterback Taj Boyd and Ohio State quarterback Braxton Miller, and Clemson beat Ohio State 40-35. to Now, the final BCS championship game between number one Florida State, who so far was the only team undefeated during the season, and had freshman quarterback of Florida State and 2013 Heisman winner, who had to deal with some off-field issues of a sexual assault case and was cleared that is known as Jameis Winston. Facing against the Auburn Tigers, which is the team of destiny and won on a tipped Hail Mary pass that was caught by Auburn receiver Robert Luis against Georgia. Then Auburn receiver Chris Davis made the most memorable return that is called the kick six. That was a 109-yard missed field goal return for a touchdown. Return. Goal return Against, at the time, number one Alabama, the Auburn Tigers that represented for the SEC, and the SEC was on a 7-BCS championship game winning streak, and every non-SEC fan wanted to see the SEC revealed on what they truly are. But at the beginning of the game, for some strange reason, the ESPN commentators kept on saying the Auburn Tigers were the underdog. 
Well, here's what I got to say to that. Just because according to a Vegas betting line that says Auburn is the underdog doesn't mean they are the underdog. Actually, to be honest, I saw them more as the favorite because Auburn had the number one rushing attack in college football this year. They beat Alabama and Missouri. You would think that would make them the favorite to win. Four State Seminoles were more of the underdog, though. They were undefeated. They still didn't play the best teams, Clemson and Duke, and had a lot more to prove than Auburn. Plus, their strength of schedule was ranked 51st in the country. So, Florida State started out the game with a field goal, and Florida State took a 3-0 lead against the Auburn Tigers. But Auburn quarterback Nick Marshall threw a touchdown pass to Auburn halfback Trey Mason, and Auburn took the lead 7-3. Then Nick Marshall threw a touchdown pass to Auburn receiver Melvin Ray, making it 14-3. Then Nick Marshall decided to rush the touchdown for, for himself, making it 21-3. And Florida State was desperate on the following drive, but on fourth down, they went for a fake punt run. They were likely, they got, they were lucky. They got first down and kept the drive alive, which led Florida State halfback Devont- Devontae Freeman to rush in for a Florida State touchdown. And at halftime, it was number two Auburn Tigers 21, Florida State Seminoles 10. The only score in the third quarter was a 41-yard field goal made by Florida State kicker Robert Aguayo, which made the score Auburn 21, Florida State 13. In the fourth quarter with 15 minutes, we will find out who will be national champions. Jimmy Winston threw an 11-yard touchdown pass to Chad Abram. And after the play, there was taunting. So instead of going for a two-point conversion to tie the game, they went for the extra point, which they made. And Forest State was only down by one to Auburn by the score of Auburn 21, Forest State 20. Auburn Tigers stormed down the field but got stopped short by the Forest State defense and forced Auburn to kick a field goal. And Auburn went up 24-20. On the kickoff, Kermit Whitfield was rushing down the sideline and returned it one yards for a touchdown and a momentum shift in the game. As Florida State took the lead for the first time in the game since early in the first quarter, Florida State 27, Auburn 24. Auburn halfback Trey Mason ran for a 37-yard touchdown run, and he just didn't want to go down as Auburn took the lead 31-27 with 1 minute and 19 seconds left in the game, and so Florida State had one more shot to win it, and they started their own 20-yard line. And there was a key play, Jameis Winston for a short pass to his wide receiver, to his wide receiver, and his wide receiver caught and ran all the way to the Auburn 25. But an Auburn player horse collar tackled and face masked the Florida State player. But there was no penalty called. And on third down, there was an incomplete pass thrown. But on the play, one of the Auburn secondary men was holding on the shirt and hugging the Florida State receiver. And the flag was thrown and was pass interference against Auburn. So Florida State got the ball placed on the Auburn 2 with 17 seconds left in the game. And Jameis Winston, with determination, went back in the pocket. And with an Auburn defense ready to pounce. And Jameis stepped forward and jumped and threw the ball to the back of the end zone. One-on-one between an Auburn secondary man and for a state kept Kelvin Benjamin and Kelvin snatched the ball and fell to the ground and hid the ball away so the Auburn player wouldn't strip the ball away and everyone in the whole stand waiting to see what the result was and the rest are spread out to the signal for a touchdown and Florida State held on by the final score 34-31 and Jameis Winston won the final BCS National Championship on his 20th birthday this title game shows us that it's getting close to the end of SEC's dominance in football, and also the SEC 7 championship streak came to an end. This was a great way to end the BCS era, and now on to the college football playoff. Yeah, really original, guys. What was what was College Green on Classic? Not great enough of a name for you? Anyways, it's just a 14 playoff, and the winners of this 
semifinal games play in the national championship game. Now, here's the problem with this system. It's only four teams. There is no limit on how many teams there can be from each conference in this four-team college playoff. Most importantly, because there will be a college football subcommittee that decides to be who deserves to be in the top four slots for the college football playoff, which really, this is the BCS system, but with humans, which leaves off the bottom five conferences as the Sun Belt, American Athletic, Made American, Mountain West, and Conference USA be left in the dust, it's a start with a 14 playoff for the first season college football playoff. I think it needs to be a 16-team system. That way we can have the mid-10, Pat 12 Big 12, SEC, ACC, Sunbelt, MAC, Conference USA, Mountain Western, and American Athletic Champion, and six at large bids. Sure, there will always be controversy, but this is the closest way to at least give every conference a chance, especially in the non-Big 5 conferences. So the BCS wasn't perfect, but neither will the CFP be perfect. And next year, I could see three SEC teams and just either one Big 10 Pac-12, or even one ACC school gain the four-team playoff next year. And now I talk about Super Bowl 48, a preview of Super Bowl 48 from the past. It's very interesting that both the Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks are going to play in the cold East Rutherford, New Jersey for Super Bowl 48. It seems like yesterday year, as in the 1980s, but both these teams were AFC West rivals. 30 years later, they are playing each other for the Lombardi Trophy as what will be the coldest Super Bowl of all time. Now, a lot of people are giving the nickname of this Super Bowl the Marijuana Bowl because, coincidentally, both of the teams that are playing each other are the only states that legalize marijuana, which is Colorado and Washington. Denver Broncos come from Colorado, and the Seattle Seahawks come from the state of Washington. This is the second time in 20 years that both the number one seeded teams played each other in the Super Bowl. The last time was in Super Bowl 44 between the New Orleans Saints and the Indianapolis Colts, in which the New Orleans Saints beat the Colts 31-17 to win their first Super Bowl in franchise history. What both these Super Bowls have in common isn't just that both number one seeded teams from the AFC and NFC played each other in the Super Bowl, but the main factor. In Super Bowl 44, Payne Manning was the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, which lost to the Saints 31 17. In Super Bowl 48, Payne Manning is the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, who will have to face the number one defense of the Seattle. That is the Legion of Boom. Now, this is the first time since Super Bowl 44 that there are no East Coast teams in the Super Bowl, which is ironic since the location of this year's Super Bowl is on the East Coast. Speaking of East Coast, East Coast as hard as it is to believe, Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll actually used to be a head coach with the big tuna for the New England Patriots and were led to Super Bowl 31, and they faced the Green Bay Packers in the Superdome, which the Green Bay Packers beat the Patriots 35-21. And in 1999, Pete Carroll was fired from the New England Patriots, and a year later, Bill Belichick was hired as the head coach and won three Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. If it wasn't for Pete Carroll being fired, maybe we would right now be talking about Pete Carroll... Pete Carroll being one of NFL's greatest coaches of all time. But anyone can play the game of what if. So what do these two teams have at stake besides just winning the Super Bowl? Well, this game will determine on whether or not Payne Manning should be considered one of NFL's greatest quarterbacks of all time. But remember, this is Payne Manning's third Super Bowl appearance, and he won Super Bowl 41 and lost Super Bowl 44. While his little brother Eli Manning has won two Super Bowls, both against the New England Patriots. But Payne Manning wins the Super Bowl, then he becomes the first quarterback in Super Bowl history to win Super Bowls with two different teams. The 
This Seattle Seahawks team is the second youngest age team to go to the Super Bowl, according to Sports Illustrated. Most of the young teams that were on the list, especially in the 1974 Pittsburgh Steelers, 1971 Miami Dolphins, which is the youngest age team to go to the Super Bowl, by the average player being around 26.4 years old. Though they weren't successful in Super Bowl VI, losing to the Dallas Cowboys 24-3 the following year, the same Miami Dolphins went to the Super Bowl and went undefeated through the whole season and went 14-0. And ended up winning the Super Bowl, becoming 17-0. and We have a Seattle running back obsessed with Skittles, Denver wide receiver Demaris Thomas, which I think was Marvin Harrison, the past life, a Denver football player that was a former XFL player, a Seattle cornerback that has the same exact name as a music composer that written the songs for Disney's Mary Poppins, and a Denver player who has an ironic name of Champ, but never has been to the Super Bowl in his 15-year career in the NFL, till this coming Sunday, February 2nd, 2014. Champ Bailey will play in his first Super Bowl. Now, here's my prediction. I think it will be a back and forth battle, but Denver will show Seattle that it's great to have a booming defense, but to win the Super Bowl, you need an outstanding offense and a destructive defense to win a championship. So I say Payne Man and the Denver Broncos are going to beat the Seattle Seahawks in the Classic by the final score, Denver Broncos 35, Seattle Seahawks 31. If the Seattle Seahawks win the Super Bowl somehow, I wouldn't be too upset. They got some class players such as Seattle quarterback Russell Wilson and the deaf fullback Derek Coleman, but I just wished their head coach wasn't Pete Carroll. What's actually funny, two weeks before the Super Bowl, I I was at a breakfast with my dad, and I was we were in the car after a breakfast, and I was joking around. Can you imagine the final score was 42-7, to Denver Broncos 42, Seattle Seahawks 7? Well, that sort of happened, except the Seattle Seahawks ended up being the Denver Broncos. 43 to 8. And there's even a whole video. I. I <laughs> a whole video that I was in a tirade. I really wanted Peyton Manning to win that Super Bowl. I did not want to see. The, the reason I was really upset was because, remember, Pete Carroll was in the middle of some type of scandal. He left USC and he wasn't caught or into questioning. So instead, the athletic director had to take the fall, and it showed not a great moral lesson to people out there that you can obviously escape from your troubles and not get caught and not take responsibility. That's what that showed to me at that time. In my opinion. So this was my last blog post ever. On Blogger. And it was about Super Bowl 49. Well it's that time again. The Super Bowl. This is the first time ever I will be talking about a Super Bowl. Of either teams. I wish there was a way they would both lose. Now, I have respect for both of the organizations, but I just don't really like either of the coaches. So, this year's Super Bowl will take place in Glendale, Arizona. Or, for the New England Patriots' sake, it's called the Dome of Nightmares. Because the last time New England played at this site, they faced a Giants upset. And they were one win away from being the first team to go 19-0, but the second team to go undefeated.
Now for the Seattle Seahawks, Casey University Phoenix Stadium is a home away from home, so we have an interesting Super Bowl. I think this Super Bowl will be close. Before I give my prediction, I want to make this clear. Deflategate was a ploy to get hyped for the Super Bowl. Even the VP of Fishing stated, they don't really check the air pressure in footballs before the game. So, the NFL deserves to apologize to the New England Patriots. I'll start out. I'm sorry, New England Patriots organization Robert Kraft and Tom Brady of thinking that you cheated. It turned out to be a story that was told but wasn't there by the media. Now that we have that out of the way, let's talk about some statistics that has never been done in a Super Bowl. There has never been an overtime game in the Super Bowl era. There has never been a shutout in a Super Bowl. And there has never been a Super Bowl with a 50 TV rating. Now, Tom Brady has tied the record for most Super Bowl appearances of six with defensive tackle Michael Wodish. Also, the New England Patriots are now in a freeway tie for most Super Bowl appearances by a team with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Dallas Cowboys with eight Super Bowl appearances. So Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, and the Legion Boom are trying to be repeat Super Bowl champions, or in Seattle's case, re, and then spell out P-E-T-E, repeat, since the 2003-2004 New England Patriots. I think it's going to be interesting, especially matching up Tom Brady against the Legion of Boom. Tom Brady enjoys being clutch, especially in the two-minute drill. Russell Wilson will have an advantage over Tom Brady. He has the arm to throw, the legs to run, and simultaneously. I think this game will come down to the running game of either team. I think Marshawn Beast Mo Lynch will have a fantastic game and will outrun both Garrett Blunt and Shane Vereen. The X Factor for the New England, New England Patriots will be defensive end Daniel McCourty. I think the Seattle Seahawks will beat the New England Patriots 42-28. Now, of course, we all know what really happened was Super Bowl 40, Super Bowl 49. And... Russell Wilson passes it to Jermaine Kearse. Jermaine Kearse makes a spectacular, unbelievable circus catch. But remember, Malcolm Butler pushed Jermaine Kearse out of bounds. Otherwise, that would have been a walk into the end zone for a touchdown. So Malcolm Butler made two key plays, and it was all on the same drive. Pushed Jermaine Kearse out of bounds and made that interception at the one-yard line. The reason why... If everybody, especially you, Pete Carroll, of all people, if you're wondering why people kept on complaining to you, why didn't you run the ball with Marshawn Lynch? Yes, we do realize that by average, Marshawn Lynch was terrible with getting one yard or less when it came during that season. Okay, we understand that, but you have the ball at the one-yard line. You have a guy that, by average, will most likely needs... It takes at least two people to tackle him down. You have a timeout. Go for the run. That's what you do. If you had no timeout, I would respect and understand to not run the ball. Because you don't want to end up not having enough time on the clock. So I'm guessing that somehow you thought you had no timeout. 
It's either that or you're thinking that there's no way that the Patriots defense... I'm going to find a way to fool this Patriots defense by making them think I'm going to run the ball. Instead, I'm going to pass. They weren't fooled. They were ready. And, of course, a darn shame, there was a player by the name of Chris Matthews. Without Chris Matthews, the Seattle Seahawks, it would have been a miracle of them even still being in the game with the New England Patriots. Chris Matthews was a key contribution with the Seattle Seahawks offense. Because there was nothing going in the passing game until they passed it to Chris Matthews. He even scored a touchdown. Because in my in my opinion, if somehow the Seattle Seahawks found a way to end up winning that Super Bowl, I think Chris Matthews would have ended up being the MVP. Not Russell Wilson, not Marshawn Lynch, Chris Matthews. Without Chris Matthews, the wide receiver, the Seattle Seahawks would have been just blown out. But instead, they fell short and lost by the final score of 28-24. to and that will do it. Thank you, thank you, everybody, for listening to this bonus episode of Be Rolling Over. As I'm Nathan Saints, so long till next time on the Gridiron. If you enjoyed this podcast, there, there is, there's plenty of podcast episodes for you to listen to, especially on what I thought about Super Bowl Fifty Three. This is brought to you by Industry Horror. Industry Horror is a nonprofit that that helps hire people with special needs and on the autism spectrum. On the autism spectrum, they make uniquely screen printed designs on shirts, tank tops, sweaters, hoodies. Even if you want it on a tote bag, they'll find a way to do it. On a tote bag, embroidered hats, and even some hand-knitted cozy beanies for the winter season. And they also have some interesting accessories. Go on IndustryHorror.com, or if you're around the Ventura County area, check out Downtown Ventura off of 518 East Main Street. It's the store right next to the Buffalo Exchange store. Screen printing with a conscious. They help out no matter how big or small your business is. They want to help out everything they can in the community and locally. I just realized that all this time, funny enough, that I didn't actually explain on where you could listen to all the podcast episodes. Uh, You can listen on Podbean, also on Google Podcast. Also, you could even listen on Apple Podcasts. I think there's something called CastBox as well, and and also even the Anchor app as well. Anchor, 